Hey there, my name is Amanda Melindo. And I'm Mina Vargas. And you are listening to another episode of Creative Confessionals. A podcast for radically honest conversations about art, design, and creative entrepreneurship from diverse perspectives. And just so you know, we get real honest in this episode. Yeah, it's important that we preface this episode with a trigger warning. If you are sensitive to conversations about sexual or domestic assault, miscarriage, alcohol, or substance abuse, and addiction, then you may want to set this one out. Yeah, although this episode is full of laughs and smart advice, it is not for everyone. And that's okay. This week we're chatting with Melissa Kreider, a recent MFA graduate of the University of Iowa, Melissa also holds a BFA in photography from the University of Akron. Melissa's work examines sites of sexual violence against women and how the justice system archives these reports, as well as the evidence that is collected. Her work has been exhibited and published nationally and internationally. She's also the founder and curator of Don't Smile, an online space dedicated to showcasing photography by women artists. Before we get started, I also want to remind you about an opportunity that we are so proud to be offering in collaboration with Don't Smile. I'm jurying Color Balance, and we're looking for great images by female photographers of color. If that sounds like you, I would love for you to submit your strongest work from any photographic genre. In addition to potentially having your work featured, you'll be making a big impact on the future of this podcast. All proceeds raised through this exhibition will go to After Art and Creative Confessionals so that we can keep doing this work and highlighting the experiences of underrepresented artists and designers. Visit don't-smile.com submit to learn more. And I will put that link in the show notes so you can apply before September 24th. And another completely free way you can support us is by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Now let's talk about Melissa. In this episode, she shares her experience with getting a master's of fine art straight out of undergrad, the importance of being selfish, and what that means in relation to self-care. We also get into some really interesting conversations about starting a career in academia and why Melissa founded Don't Smile. All that and a whole bunch more. Shall we get started? Yeah, here's the interview. One of the largest reasons that I ended up going straight into graduate college is because I wanted to keep that momentum that I had from undergrad. I was like totally feeling making more work. I was ready to make remnants and I wanted the community of graduate school as well as the privilege of time to be able to really focus on that body of work because it'd take a ton of research and a lot of time building relationships to make. Mm -hmm. So I graduated with my BFA. Mina is currently pursuing her bachelor of is it bachelor of science yeah in which is design. like funny it's like on the fringe it's like studying interior design science degree awesome. people are like what and i'm like i don't know what is that i did not make this decision like, i'm just going with i think it. it's just it's like i have to take physics so they're like science and i'm like yeah, i'll take it that's awesome though that's yeah. yeah so the reason why i bring that up is because neither of us have that master's experience so what was that like and especially we're all the same age you 
both were born hours of each other. Really? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what she's been telling me. Is your me. birthday yeah. on April 22nd, too? The 23rd. The 23rd. Oh, my God. But, like, yes. at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, since we're all the same age, obviously, you've kind of had a very different experience of the last three years. Can you tell us about getting an MFA? What it was like? The hardest parts? Right. The hmm. shit show? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It went way quicker than I expected. I was at first I was thinking you know three years such a long time and then I graduated this May and it was like whiplash but other times it really dragged on you know when I was feeling uninspired or I didn't really want to work I was like this week is a year long I can't do anything (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it ended up being really great the best thing that I gained from grad school is like that sense of community and being able to be around people who would push me to make better work constantly, that was probably the highest payoff next to time, getting to just have time to make my work. In terms of shit shows, you know, I had a lot of personal stuff happen, but I still really loved graduating from the University of Iowa, and it was great. Mm -hmm. And I've heard the same advice that, you know, you should give it some time before going into a program. Mm -hmm. Do you think in the end, in the long run, making that decision was beneficial to you or I mean not that you can go back in time yeah, but like right. would you reconsider it now yeah I've thought about that a lot I do not regret going straight in I feel pretty good about my experience and where I am now I kicked my own ass through grad school and really just made sure I was applying to shows and stuff so I have connections now mm-hmm. and I have you know I'm showing and that's really great the weird part is is that I'm 25 I have my terminal degree no one will hire me for a professor job because I'm 25 <laughs> and a lady. That's the biggest regret is that I can't get a job in like teaching. I can yeah. get jobs, you know, in studios and as a tech, as a technician and stuff, but I really love teaching. So mm-hmm. it's not my fault that I was born in 1993. You yeah. know, like yeah. I didn't exactly. ask for that. <laughs> not, I mean, if anything, you're just hyper ambitious and yeah. nobody wants to yeah. respect you're that. Like, so I, sorry, I'm yeah. young and super qualified. That's like, what sorry. I, yeah, like, I get really sassy about it sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, I worked hard. Like, I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> I don't ridiculous. understand. I've also been told a couple times that one of the reasons I can't, I can't get hired as a as a professor, like a full-time professor is because of the work I made is ad, is advocacy work and they're afraid that I'll be a problem like within oh. the department that I'll push back or or that's so fucked up. Speak up. I know. That's I don't know if that's true, but it seems like it could be a thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, that makes me angry. It I makes just me got really angry mad. too. I have <laughs> I lately I've been so angry at academia. I'm just like broken yeah they won't hire me yeah like, I don't understand that's a really interesting thing to say because it's something that I've considered both you and I make really personal yeah. and but personal and social work totally um that is advocacy work and is it can be controversial yes the project that I'm doing now I've been concerned that you know because it is such a polarizing topic mm-hmm. um it might influence my career yeah. in some way and I mean yeah. technically I do work for uh, academia I work right. at the community college level I don't work with students but I've been very careful about how I expose pieces of it totally. because I yeah. don't want that backlash because I need money mm-hmm. absolutely yeah I did the same thing with remnants I kind of waited until it was absolutely ready and I was absolutely ready to talk about it mm-hmm. and defend it with my life 
to like put it out there because there is a niche that you get put into. It's like you're you're an advocate, you're loud, you're mm-hmm. a problem or something. But that's like what art should be about. Yeah, right? what are you even I, doing if it's I'm not like totally in agreement. Like, <laughs> don't worry. Is it even art? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like I no hate on self-portraiture at all. Self-portraiture is beautiful. It's great. I'm just not going to make self-portraits about myself. I'm not interesting enough. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel the need to make another body of work about self-portraits, which is fine. Which is fine. I love the genre of self-portraiture, but me as a maker, like, I can't stop making work like this. It's funny because this podcast, we're not necessarily talking about work, but I think uh, there was a question that I did have for you about kind of orchestrating these bigger bodies of work mm-hmm. that do involve other people. Mm-hmm. But speaking to that, bringing other people in makes it, one, I think it makes it your work more relatable mm-hmm. because more people are represented in it. And mm-hmm. two, mm-hmm. in my own experience working with people who have experienced like difficult situations on any spectrum – it's almost um, cathartic for them to participate and to see other people's faces. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, because Remnants is coming from your personal experience, it Mm -hmm. helps you to connect with people that have lived that experience. Absolutely, yeah. One of the biggest things that I didn't expect to get out of working with survivors is kind of having that camaraderie almost, or I guess that might not be the right word, having that connection Mm -hmm. of like a shared traumatic experience and seeing these women or men who are like 20 or 25 years out of their assault you know I'm only six this year six Mm -hmm. years out of my assault and so it's really uplifting for me to work with them because they're functioning they're you know they lead lot like happy lives and that has been an unexpected thing to come out of making the work so and it's cathartic for them as well they've never really talked about it or they've never been given space to be represented as a survivor and and it's bullshit that that isn't okay in the art world (laughs) sure yeah yeah like (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it doesn't make any sense have you been given any other feedback about you know why it's been difficult for you to get a job don't smile doesn't help you know that's Mm -hmm. a cause too yeah it stands for something and i think which i don't understand it all especially right now right you want to stand for something because for sure. things are so screwed up Horrible. right now yeah and every day is a nightmare like you can't write this shit and, and you I, really can't like everyone's like oh my god yeah. is this real? <laughs> yeah. oh god don't even get me started um but i feel like doing that is good like being vocal is good you're not gonna help anyone if you are just like supportive on your facebook feed yeah yeah oh my god yeah and it, so the funny thing is too i feel like all of these uh i mean i know asu is taking an initiative to develop more inclusion and equity in their arts programs they're hiring people for these positions that are supposed to be more about advocacy work they're all about social mm-hmm. practice and like all of this stuff and yet yeah. They're still afraid of making too much noise. Totally. And I think they're And afraid of people who are making too yeah, much noise. I think there's that line between like making social practice work but still like playing by the rules. Yeah. Which is fine. Everybody's different. Everybody works to the capacity that they can as a maker, but then as an institution, they're still hiring people who are more quiet, I guess is the is the word. Or fit the mold. Yeah. How do you maintain like stamina or drive to create work about really serious, difficult topics? How do you stay motivated? It was really easy in grad school. I had all the time in the world. It was literally my job. But 
it did get really heavy sometimes, I, you know, because I am a survivor. So sometimes the things I would read would be horrible. And working with survivors, you know, sometimes it would just take all of my energy to talk to them. So I would always speak with them before I photograph them just to build a relationship. And it was just really hard to separate myself from everything I was reading. So I kind of had to learn how to have stamina. I had to like teach myself when it was too much for me to handle and like I would take a break and go outside. And at the beginning of grad school, I was like, no breaks, no breaks, no breaks. You know, I was really hard on myself. I'm really stupid that way where I just push myself to work way too much and I don't take care of myself. I do that. Double it's charge. so <laughs> bad. It's terrible. And I get oh. so stressed out and I have like a meltdown and right? I like break out in It's hives. like a terrible cycle. <laughs> and then I just and, do it all over again. Yeah, and it was but really it. affecting my mental health yeah. in grad school. So I had to get some better coping mechanisms and like actually be kind to myself and get give myself breaks. That's how I keep my stamina is like taking breaks, not beating myself up for being upset by some of the things I read. At the beginning of making the work, I was getting really upset with myself because I was like, be tougher, you know, like get over it. You have to make this work, deal with it. And then I would drink like two bottles of wine and then I'll keep researching. (laughs) But also, you know, just reading the news keeps my stamina up. Like it's something new every day and no one cares. Yeah, it, that's it just, what's crazy. It's like it's, the craziest headline yeah. will come out and everybody's like, huh. All these actors and producers in the Me Too movement, nothing has happened to them. Yeah. yeah. They've just been publicly shamed. None of them are in jail. Harvey None of them lost like their bail. money. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucked He's not going to jail, up. Like. It makes me so angry every yeah. time I hear about it. Yeah, it and, is crazy. you know, I'm like, I'm just going to make more work and... <laughs> In the whole, like, Trump thing, there's so many stories of him assaulting people, and no one cares. Yeah, that's what's crazy. I was just thinking about that the other day. It's so shitty that even in 2018, we're still at a point where people are like, oh, we don't want a loud woman, you know? I hear this all the time. People still, still to this day, are, like, defending Trump, and they're like, well, I think he's great because he says what he thinks. And I was like, Hillary Clinton called a huge group of people deplorables and nobody liked that right and i was like fuck yeah they are deplorable oh my god <laughs> like, and he uh, i was he like gets uh, away with, spoke her mind it's yeah. just amazing like, what he gets away with and i'm like murder, it's just the probably. archetypal like man white man privilege right yeah. there right on our podium of america so yeah that definitely keeps up my level of rage it is hard i'm yeah. working with families who have lost loved ones to intimate partner violence now and it's just so sad to meet mm-hmm. with these families and like talk to them and be, yeah, and you know I just go for a walk or like take a nap or something and mm-hmm. cuddle my kitties yeah so it almost sounds like you use art in a way as its own coping mechanism for mm-hmm. things that are happening around you in the world and mm-hmm. in your life so I don't know maybe this is a good time to bring up your zine mm-hmm. and that experience you had along with it Totally. Yeah. So what was it? Last fall I made, I released a zine called Empty Space Heartburn and uh, March of last year I miscarried at 12 weeks. And you were in school. I was in school. It was a week after SPE. It it was, yeah, it was really hard. And shortly after my fiance left me because he's a garbage human and um, he spent the next three months calling me his wife and the love of his life while he was with some new girl. And that really messes with you, oh, yeah. heads up. So I made art about it, because why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. And it was really cathartic, 
and it was really freeing. It was super liberating to make this scene. You know, I was compiling all of our texts between March and June 28th when I had to change my number because mm-hmm. he wouldn't stop calling me his wife and leading me on, but he would never show up in person. He said he was too mm-hmm. scared, which doesn't what make the sense. Fuck? I know. It doesn't make sense. I'm not physically violent or whatever. <laughs> like, I do not. I, yeah, ugh, I don't know just to sort of make sense of the situation because it was so confusing, right? I lost this kid. I lost my fiance. But then for three months, it was like, you're my wife. I love you. You know, it didn't make any sense to me. So kind of compiling the texts between the time he left to the time that I changed my number helped me start to kind of understand what was going on and like take a step back from the situation Mm because I was wrecked right I was staying at my parents house drinking all of their booze I didn't get dressed for three months Mm -hmm. it was not a good look but that's what happens when your heart breaks and so this zine one side of it is called empty space and it's about my miscarriage it's basically just things I've thought about we picked names for the kids Mm-hmm. If it would be a boy or a girl, because he promised that he cared, which I don't think he actually did. I mean, he did. Um, <laughs> but th- that stuck with me. So I, ma- I made half of the zine, about 24 pages about that. And then it meets in the middle mm-hmm. and you rotate it and you keep reading. And it's about our relationship falling apart. So you can read it from either side and it mm-hmm. will meet in the middle. And That's still really cool. Sense. Yeah. yeah. I, have it. I can show it to you later. You do have it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so... It was just really cathartic. It also helped me realize that he had done a lot of really fucked up stuff in our relationship for years. Mm -hmm. He would gaslight me and make me feel bad about my career, and I didn't even realize it Mm -hmm. until he left. And it was also really funny to kind of put in there, like, he sent me 400-something dick pics between March and June. So many. That is so many. I think he's a narcissist. I would have changed my phone number so much <laughs> yes, earlier. I was like, God. I've been like, nope. Um, <laughs> well, I thought that means we were getting back together. Dick <laughs> relationship. True. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was able to put that in the zine and, like, redact it out of one of the texts because I would never publish his dick. That's really fucked up. And it would feed his narcissism. Yeah. Yeah, his sociopathic narcissism. He'd be like, yes. <laughs> my dick is published. <laughs> Um, and you know, it was funny to like put him on, you know, I love holding men accountable Mm -hmm. and I was able to hold him accountable Yeah, and I profited off of it, you know, I made made money off of the zine where I was like, I made $600 off of this, plus like selling my wedding dress, selling my ring. Like I made so much money off of it. And I was like, this is fine. This outcome is okay. I feel better. Yeah. I feel really good. So yeah, compiling it and then everything that went with processing and stuff Mm -hmm. and the fact that people bought it, which I didn't expect, um, was really good for me. I mean, it was, it's so raw and very powerful and it's always so admirable to see artists really put themselves out there. I mean, your situation sounds like such an anomaly but if anybody else out there is going through something similar, you know, to get that into their hands, it means that somebody else yeah. is going through that, you know, totally. even if it's one half of the book or the other, like right. people get gaslighted all the time. Yeah. And, and it's like the thing with it is that like, you don't even know it's happened until after the fact when you're like That's analyzing it. Like, yeah. That know. was the craziest part is it happened yeah. so slowly over four yeah. year period. How do you get back to real life? How do you get back to grad school? Like, because grad school in itself is meant to just 
totally yeah. wreck you. Wreck you. Yeah. <laughs> That's totally. terrible. How do you? No, it's death true. Pact? It's true. It is a death pact. You're basically a masochist if you go to school for art. I don't care if it's a BFA or an MFA. Like you're a masochist. You want to hurt. Well, I was kind of used to already being vulnerable with people because in order to make remnants, I had to be really vulnerable. Yeah. And so the zine was just a taking that a huge step farther because I had never really published anything that was personal. I would just share with my subjects that I photographed. So everyone in grad school knew what was going on. Like we were Mm -hmm. all pretty close. Um, They helped me so much when I was like not functioning in April and May. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had that summer to just grieve really hard. And then when I went back in the fall, I was just like busting out that zine. You know, yeah. I was just able to produce something which made me feel good. Oh, so yeah. that's how I kind of went back into it. And mm-hmm. when the thing in March happened, I drove down to Arkansas, which is where he was. Mm-hmm. And I stayed in a hotel to try to fix our relationship. And he only saw me once for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that was really hard. I came back from that and I made that newspaper for remnants because yeah. I was like, I got to make something. I can't just sit here. I was not in a good headspace. Like, I had to make something. So that's a huge part of coping is just being able to make something, even if it's terrible. I mean, I I think that's a normal thing. For artists? Yeah. Yeah. I felt so out of it. You know, I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience because so many things happened in, like, two days. Mm -hmm. And the fallout from that was insane. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, like, making something helped me see that I was there. I know that sounds weird, but I was like, I can still produce. I can still make. Some part of me is still here yeah. in this grieving process. Yeah. So. I mean, so many times I find myself asking, is art really meaningful? Like, does it do anything? And I think it definitely does, especially, I mean, you don't have to be a creative practitioner to Absolutely make not. something. No. and it can really help heal you Mm -hmm. to produce something that is meaningful and kind of bring closure. Yeah, just something to occupy your, like, time, your mind, like a project. Mm -hmm. Like, anybody can benefit from a project, even if you're not an artist. I have an anecdote about that, actually. I went to rehab in June. It was the best experience that I ever did. I put myself there, and it Mm -hmm. was the best thing ever, because grad school makes you drink a lot. (laughs) So I was like, I can't keep doing this. So we had art therapy days, and... There were these 50-year-old guys who were like, I've never drawn in my life. But it ended up being their, like, favorite day every week. And they would hang their drawings up, and they were so proud of them. And it was, you know, they're not an artist. They don't have a BFA or an MFA. That's what art therapy is for. And I had never really witnessed that before. I can't draw either, so it's great for me too, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But these guys were so into it, and it was beautiful to watch because, you know, that's totally a different function of art than I'm used to Mm -hmm. being exposed to because, you know, everyone in grad school is very like I'm making very important things for yeah. everyone to see and yeah. it's very important <laughs> and sometimes it's sometimes it is and sometimes it's not and like you know <laughs> it can get really pretentious like really fast yeah. yeah so from that whole experience I definitely learned that I can't sacrifice my career or my practice for anybody I learned to really be selfish in my practice and my career because Right now, especially at our age, is the time to hustle really hard to set Mm -hmm. yourself up for success in the future. 
you can hustle your whole life. That's not what I'm saying. But yeah. definitely right now when you're an emerging photographer or artist or anything, it's really important to kind of put yourself out there. And you mm-hmm. can't do that if you're making all these sacrifices for other people. And I realized that because I was making a lot of sacrifices in my relationship that made my shine kind of dull a little bit for yeah. somebody else. And that is unacceptable and you should never do that for anybody. And I didn't really realize that until after the fact. You know, it's the gift of hindsight. Mm -hmm. And so I started, you know, putting, you know, caring enough about myself to start putting my career first and my needs and my wants and being really selfish. Like if I needed to stay in and work on things and they were like my friends were going somewhere super fun, I would have to just say no, you know, and I would just... Even if they would keep begging me to come, I had to be really selfish and just be like, no, I cannot, you know, I have to be working on this. And even when it comes to any relationship that I am in or if I'm going to be Mm -hmm. in in the future, like that person needs to understand that my career is my first priority. And and there's definitely a difference between being selfish with everyone and then being selfish with your career and practice. I think people get that mixed up a lot. And being selfish with your career and your practice is just taking care of yourself, honestly. Yeah. Like there you're if people around you can't understand your priorities, then they either need to wise up or get out of your life. Yeah. And that sounds really mean, but you don't have time to surround yourself with people who are gonna make you feel like shit about your career and your aspirations. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not saying be selfish in the way that's like shitty and mean to your friends and family. I'm saying like care about your career and your art enough to put it first. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And surround yourself with people that are that are okay supportive. That. Yeah, yeah, that are supportive and will be your cheerleaders. You want to be surrounded by people who are going to be understanding that sometimes you have to stay in and work or sometimes you have to travel without them and like to do things that you need to do or Yeah. You know, and in, in relationships it's really important too. You're not going to have an equal relationship if that person is always waiting around for you to come home or waiting for you to like finish working or something. And that can work for some people. But for me personally, I need my partner to have their own life yeah. and their yeah. own goals and aspirations. When you say being selfish, I totally get that. I definitely think that selfishness and self-care aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah, definitely. Like how do you cultivate that together if, right, you, yeah. if you feel like you've found a good medium for that? Totally. You know, I was being selfish. You know, I learned to be selfish about fall of last year. Mm-hmm. And I was being selfish, but I was also not taking care of myself. Yeah. You know, I was just kind of being a jerk and being like, no, I'm going to work all the time. And that's how it is. And that was my version of being selfish. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't taking care of myself. You know, I was in a really bad mental state. I was drinking so much every single night by myself in my house while I was working. I wasn't sleeping enough. I wasn't like getting out of the house. I wasn't doing any of my coping mechanisms that I have mm-hmm. in place to deal with stuff. So it just kept getting worse and worse, right? Yeah. I was being selfish because it was also the next semester is my thesis semester, but I was also not taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. And so it got so bad by graduation that I decided to <clears throat> put myself in rehab in like two weeks after graduation for 30 days. And it was... That's also a selfish thing to do, but it is simultaneously self-care. Yeah. And I learned a ton of coping mechanisms. I learned, you know, how to create healthy boundaries with not only myself, but others to keep myself grounded Mm -hmm. and not go have a really high high or a really low low 
and just be able to kind of level out a little and not need to drink all the time to numb all of the stuff that happened. Yeah. You know, I learned a lot of self-care tactics. I like kayaking and I didn't know that. And it's a coping mechanism because I don't think about anything else when I'm on the water. And Mm -hmm. knitting is now a good self-care coping mechanism for me. And bubble baths and just giving myself time for that stuff and really making it a priority because it's all about priorities, right? Like you have to, it's your choice whether or not you commit to making that a priority. And so I kind of had to kick my butt a little bit. Yeah. You had to change, totally change. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think it's kind of funny that it almost feeds back into uh, giving to others, being able to take time to yourself and care for Mm -hmm. yourself in the long run, it's going to make you more caring to others and probably make you better at what you do. Like you'll be able to sustain your career longer in a more healthy way. That's definitely that played into a huge factor of me deciding to go to rehab. I was able to use the excuse that I was in grad school, right? Drinking is normal. Everybody has an alcohol problem in grad school, which I'm not exaggerating at all. (laughs) The only problem with me is that I was drinking alone in my house. Like that's not good. been there (laughs) like most of last year i mean i miss it sometimes still i'm only 73 days sober today so sometimes i'm like man would like a glass of wine right now (laughs) but yeah i just kind of sat down a couple days before my 25th birthday and i was like i can't keep doing this you know i felt like shit i looked like shit i had no memory whatsoever like i couldn't remember Mm -hmm. simple things and one of the scariest things was I tried to quit by myself and I ended up having a seizure from the withdrawal and I was alone and it was terrifying and I had to talk with myself. Mm -hmm. I was like, Melissa, you can't keep doing this. You have a good start in your career. You're worth more than this. And I, you know, I, I hemorrhaged money on booze. Right. So I didn't Mm want to do that either. I was like, playtime's over. You're graduating. You got to be an adult now. Like (laughs) I like hyped myself up and then I found a rehab center and I put myself in there and it was, the best decision I could have made for myself. While we're in the middle of this, like I want to say thank you for sharing this because I think something that people don't always realize, and I think especially in the arts and the creative fields, substance abuse can be kind of like, oh, it's a part of the culture. It's a it's part of the so life. It's so romanticized. Like, yeah, yeah. And then, but on top of that, you were a very highly functioning alcoholic. Oh my you God, no so one knew. Shit. No one knew. No one knew. And I was like, I'm going to rehab. They're like, what? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you were able to make a, you know, a really good name for yourself while yeah. you're in grad school. It scares me. I mean, uh-huh. it freaks me out because I could easily keep doing that. Yeah. Because no one knew and I had a career and like I could easily just slip back into that behavior. Right. And I do. I feel like I know artists that are in their mid to late 30s that are living like that. And but because yeah. nobody yeah. sees the signs of and course. they hide it. And well. it's normal, mm-hmm. you know, it's so normal because, you know, you can just walk into a store and buy booze so easy. Yeah. And, you know, you go out to drinks with someone and, like, it's just normal. I'm not saying alcohol is bad. Personally, I have no idea how to not drink a lot. Yeah. But, you know, maybe one day I'll be able to casually drink, but that will be far in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just makes me sad and I didn't want to be one of those people. Also, what you said, I was being a shitty friend, shitty partner, shitty family member. I was just stealing money from people, spending it all on booze. It was... Not me. That is not me at all. Yeah. And so it was kind of like I turned into this different person and I was just like, I can't do it anymore. I was so ashamed of my actions. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I can't keep making the work I do if I keep fucking doing this. And I have worked too hard 
in too long to just throw it away for for booze. I wanted to be a better friend and a better family member and you know a better partner and I can't deal with people who have lost their loved ones if I don't have my shit together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can't expect them to give me all of them if I'm just a piece of shit, basically. <laughs> Which I'm really hard on myself. Yeah. But everyone says I wasn't that bad, but I don't think they actually know. So. Well, it's it's incredible that you were able to do that for yourself. Thank you. I would have been pissed. If there was an intervention, I would have been pissed. I would have just drank more. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I always wonder about that. I feel like this is like the worst thing to do right? to a no, person. I don't think it works. People have to like, want to be there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I know so many people that I met there who have already relapsed because they were made to go there by the court or something. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. Yeah. You can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. No. Yeah. And that's another thing I've learned too, is you're not responsible for anybody's actions, but yours. Yeah. That's the biggest thing I learned from the stuff with the miscarriage and with my fiance. And then with rehab, I'm responsible for myself. I can't save this person from their addiction. Mm-hmm. I can't make my fiance want to be with me. Because that makes perfect sense on paper, but actually like, it's feeling really that hard. It's so hard. I have to like repeat it to myself yeah. all the time when someone's making me upset. Yeah, like <laughs> you have to remove yourself and be like, it's not my fault right. that this person's and treating me so like shit. And it's so hard. And like, I always want to help people, you know? Like, yeah. You can tell by my work, I'm like an internal empath, right? Yeah. And I always want to help and I always want to save people. That's not okay yeah that's mm-hmm. not normal that's called codependence and it's not healthy yeah. yeah you know learning that has just changed everything for me because I've put so much of my emotional labor into others yeah instead of taking care of myself right. yeah and so let's switch gears a bit and we did mention that you have made a name for yourself you know even though you're going through some shit I'm glad you think that <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about it a lot I mean you 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 know remnants has shown internationally <laughs> yeah you've had <laughs> I don't think about it ever. I'm just like, I'm just making some stuff. Yeah, you've had major news outlets publish stuff about the work. How do you find those opportunities and how have you promoted yourself throughout this whole project? Where did I start? I just started by applying to shows, Mm -hmm. you know, and slowly, slowly, slowly people started showing my work in grad school. I basically had zero CV before grad school. That's Mm -hmm. another thing. I had time to sit down and money to apply to shows because it's definitely a pay-to-play sort of situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which we could talk about forever, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Um, So I started applying to shows and it started getting shown. In terms of the international shows and the news outlets that stuff just kind of fell in my lap mm-hmm. I but think. i mean would you say that it came from oh yeah definitely definitely i didn't reach out yeah. for those opportunities i guess is what i mean it definitely came from doing a lot of interviews on news outlets and things like this mm-hmm. and online journals and things and definitely networking in, at, at spe and for those listening is spe is the society for photographic education yes their national conference it's wonderful but yeah it just had to do a lot with persevering getting used to rejection is a big thing i'm kind of used to people being like we don't want your work for this show we don't want this we don't want that (laughs) but then eventually someone will say yes and so i definitely promoted on facebook on my instagram through shows and social media and you know, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of got away from me. People were like, look at this and sharing it. And yeah. I think that's how like Wired decided to interview me and how the international show happened. And yeah, it's just crazy what the internet does for you mm-hmm. <laughs> nowadays. But it, you, it sounds like you definitely have to put yourself out there. 
And I mean, you do have to, unfortunately, make an investment to pursue that. Yeah. Which, do you have anything to say? Yeah, I was budgeting about $350 a month for applying to shows. I can't do that now, you know, that I'm out of grad school. It was really just shotgun apply to shows. That's crazy. That is so expensive. It is so expensive. I don't think that's normal. (laughs) I don't think it's normal. You know, I was just applying to whatever I could get my hands on, which helped a lot. I got my work in front of a lot of people. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily bad. It's just now I'm more selective at what I apply to. I look at the jurors more. I I will not pay right now more than $50 to apply to a show because I think that's ridiculous. I don't care who your juror is. One show right now is asking for $95 because the juror is famous and their target is students and emerging artists. And I'm like, y'all don't know your audience. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Even if you don't have that much money, you know, that was a super privilege that I had that during grad school because I did get a lot of funding. But, you know, picking four shows a month to apply to just do it there are a ton of free ones Mm -hmm. on the internet a little plug for after art i have created like an opportunity spreadsheet for people to organize those and on the second page there's actually as many call for work databases that i could find that's such a great resource (laughs) though because so, so often things are kept secret yeah. Of how to apply to stuff or what opportunities there are. It's very gatekeepery. Oh, yeah. So I'm really glad that that exists. Yeah. yeah. But I honestly, awesome. I still haven't been able to pull the trigger on submitting to one of these more pricey things. Yeah. But at the most, I think I've probably spent like 10 or 15 bucks on submitting to a show. Yeah. It's expensive. It I is. mean, it gets, it adds up so quickly. You do have to put yourself out there. Even curating your own shows and finding a pop-up space mm-hmm. with your friends, with your comrades. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a good idea. And honestly, email is free. You can find somebody's website and say, hi. Yes. Who, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, from my experience, most artists are totally willing to talk to you. If you just email them. Yeah. People, I know I do, get really excited when people email me and they're like, I really admire your work. Can I talk to you about it? I want to talk about your process. And I'm like, hell yeah, you can. Yeah. Let's do it, you know? Most people will respond to you. That has a lot to do with networking, you know? Just reaching out to people, grabbing business cards, passing them out. Mm -hmm. I know it's really hard. I used to be really shy at SP and undergrad. I wouldn't talk to anybody, but eventually I would just ask people I admired to kind of, you know, I would either send them an email or or pull them aside at SPE and introduce myself, which Mm -hmm. is terrifying, by the way. You just do it. Just do it. I don't have any advice. You You just have to like do it. And they would look at my work, you know, they would take some time, like 15 minutes out of SPE and just check out my portfolio and then they would know who I was. And, you know, it was, it was good. You get feedback and you have that connection. So I, I mean, I think that you're probably way better at networking than I am because I avoid it. Um, It's terrifying. I I avoid it like the plague. I hate it. I honestly hate it. (laughs) Yeah. So something that I think is helpful is when you have a reason to talk to totally. them yes like I mean and for you it's maybe will you look at my portfolio or yeah. maybe it would be like don't smile is a huge huge networking tool yeah. for me yeah yeah tell us more about don't smile we're celebrating the beginning of its third year so mm-hmm. that's exciting I didn't really look past the first year I was sort of just I'm going to start this thing. I'm going to do it to the best of my capacity. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to make a dent in the online world of who shows online women photographers. Because yeah. I've noticed, too, that the women photographers that are shown, it's not necessarily really strong work. 
It's not mm-hmm. as strong as the men that get shown who are landscape purists yeah. and they get shown a lot and and then they'll it seems like they're just trying to be diverse to be diverse instead of including really good work. Yeah. You know to have that cred and just kind of say what are you talking about? We just showed blah 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 and it might not be like super strong work that mm-hmm. that stands up to the men's work. Yeah. And that sounds mean somewhat but I think there's a standard for the publications that they would usually publish does Mm -hmm. that make sense like they have done like intentionally like they picked a woman whose work is not as strong I don't know no I don't think that I think they're just picking the woman just to like have have a woman without really going through the work yeah yeah I don't think they're doing it to be like women are worse photographers or at least I hope not god that would be a (laughs) fucking nightmare but I think they're just like well look we're including women now look we're doing the work like and they're not yeah Yeah. and they're not and especially like some of these publications show really high caliber work and then they show this women's work that is like not not up to that standard Mm -hmm. it might be good but it's not what they usually curate into their website does that make sense yeah it does and something that when you say that makes me think about how often when people show quote women's work it's always about being a woman or about womanhood which is great that work has its place yeah i totally support it but it is about the experience of being female or something like that and it's just we have inner lives that mm-hmm. exist that aren't motherhood or periods or, yeah. you know, like those things suck. Periods suck and motherhood is a huge thing. And they but, matter. Yeah. But that's not but all it, we do as yeah. photographers. Yeah, like it'd be cool to see some work that's like, oh, look at this cool fucking work. Coincidentally, a woman made it. Right? Like, all the same stuff that people show that men make. Like women do it too. Yeah. Right. It's not that hard to find. Like they're just not trying they're not that looking. hard. Like yeah. they're just not trying. Yeah. Yeah. And it's frustrating. So that had a lot to do with Don't Smile. I was like, this is bullshit. I'm nobody, but I'm going to try my hardest to show work that is really strong, Mm -hmm. that is coincidentally made by women, just have this platform. You know, Don't Smile cost me $15 a month to host. Yeah. I might as well use that platform to do something good. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. And Don't Smile is great. If you're into photography, definitely check it out. We'll give you more info on that later. But yeah, we should maybe start wrapping it up. So what advice would you give to an emerging photographer or an Mm -hmm. emerging artist, Mm -hmm. whether they are specifically female or otherwise? One of my biggest and most annoying pieces of advice is that you should just do it. And Mm -hmm. it always makes me think of that Shia LaBeouf meme. (laughs) <laughs> of him where he's just screaming do it have yeah. you seen it no i, I don't think so <laughs> but we'll put it in the show notes so funny i make my students watch it every year <laughs> at, in the first class i'm like this is the philosophy of this class <laughs> it's really funny this is our culture it. and i i like hype myself up with it too i'm like do it i know it sucks to do stuff sometimes and it's scary and you might be nervous but like just do it anyway just yeah. like get over it and just fucking do it like send an email create a show, make a website. Even if you don't want anyone to see it, just making a website, doing it for yourself. There are tons of free platforms out there. You know, just do the thing. Whatever you want to do, <laughs> just like do the thing. And sometimes it won't work out. I'm not saying that you're going to do the thing and it's going to be great and awesome. That's not yeah. reality, but just the act of doing it and mm-hmm. learning to fail and succeed and problem solving to make things work will make you better yeah and I mean to that point I find myself all the time I always try to do it and then I find out 
I didn't really want to do it in the first place. Totally. That's okay. And that's great. It's great to learn to not want to do something, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, it's yeah. important. It's yeah, well, it, like, narrows it down. Like, <laughs> then you don't have to always wonder. Exactly. Yeah. You'll be like, no, I tried it. Yeah. I don't like you it. You know, I, <laughs> I wanted to be a fashion photographer in high school. So I went to Italy. I took fashion photography classes. I did an internship. And I was like, you know what? I hate this. But it was fun. Yeah. It was so much fun. And it was great. But, you know, it's important to find out that you don't want to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's not my niche. I don't want to work commercially. It's yeah. good to find that out. I'm still in Italy. What, <laughs> what do I have to complain about? Right. Yeah, I totally relate with that. Sometimes I'm like, maybe I'll start painting. And then I'll paint. I'll be like, no. Yeah. Oh, no. This is hard. <laughs> At the beginning of the year, I bought... A ton of encaustic supplies. Oh my god. I still have it. And like cyanotype stuff. I was like, I'm gonna do oh, yeah. it. It's you, gonna be great. You were all into that. And I just for like two months. For like two months. And, I did yeah. it. and then I was like, okay, I'm done. I need to work on other things that you I've were, already like, seen. Yeah. Things up in here and you had like a clothing rack. Like and you were like drying stuff. That. And you were like, Don't touch anything. <laughs> it's like okay. You gotta do stuff like that, you know? Like that's how yeah. you learn what you're interested in. And I was like, just Amanda stuff. It's so <laughs> important to being an artist. Yeah. Yeah, experimenting. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I agree completely. And then I guess my other piece of advice would be find your comrades, Mm -hmm. which is a funny way to put it. But especially, you know, as a lady, I think it's really important to have a group of really supportive makers who are around your age. And then also to have mentors who are a little older than you. I've gotten so many mentors through SPE who are Mm -hmm. women who've been in the field for 60 years. And I I don't call them because I respect them too much. (laughs) I'm scared to call them because I'm so candid. But they give me advice all the time when I'm like freaking out about jobs and stuff. And they know what's up. And then women my own age I've met through showing and SPE. And those are my comrades. And I'm able to call them when I'm having an art-related meltdown or if I'm pissed Mm -hmm. off about the art industry or if I'm mad about something I made or, (laughs) you know, it's just so important, especially when you get out of school, to surround yourself with those people who will make you want to keep making and sharing with each other and just talking about the struggles. Like, sometimes you're not going to want to make anything. And just talking through that is uplifting for you. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone goes through that. It's like a dry spell. Well, and I think too, when you're like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to watch Netflix. Right? (laughs) But then you get around, you go hang out with your... Art, art pals and yeah. then you're like oh my god you're doing such amazing shit right. i want to like, do that i want to do amazing stuff right it feels yeah. super good and some of my comrades are like states away yeah and i met them at sp and I, you know that's why i know you you kids don't like using the phone but you should give them a call <laughs> sometimes i just don't want to text that yeah. long and you can't convey what you can your, in a verbal your conversation tone of voice uh, one time i was texting with one of my comrades and mm-hmm. I was pissed, and she's like, haha, that sucks. I'm like, no, you don't understand. So, so I called her, and I was like, bah, 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 bah. And she's like, oh, I didn't understand. It was such a big deal. It really wasn't. Yeah. It was like one stupid little thing that set me off, but yeah. That's a very interesting and very easy to execute piece of advice. Just call Just people. Just call people. <laughs> yeah. But then. I think fostering those relationships, especially with people that are your age and at the same point in their career, like, and growing together is so fun. Mm-hmm. Seeing each other get bigger and bigger opportunities you get to be a cheerleader to that and you have friendship and you have someone supporting you yeah you know what is the loss in that situation there is none all (laughs) you you have to do is introduce yourself if you see somebody on the internet that you enjoy message them on instagram slide into those dms 
Not email them. Not <laughs> them. Please don't I feel be like creepy. that only comes creepy off as creepy. No, they're like no, slide into the no. DMs. <laughs> no, I'm like no, no, no. <laughs> Private message them with good intentions, <laughs> respect, respect, <laughs> dignity. Don't make an ass of yourself. <laughs> Please don't be weird. Like, don't anyway. be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Email them. Yeah, that's a good point because I think most people that are busy and trying to work their ass off to do great things, email is usually the preferred. For sure. Yeah, I will open notifications on Instagram and forget. Yeah, always. 200,000%. I do that with texts even. Same. Plus, Mm -hmm. if you make friends across the United States, when you drive around, you have a place to crash. Yes, we did that kind of. We need more friends. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a ton of friends. But But keep the ones you have close. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's... It's just important. I thrive a lot out of off of community personally. You mm-hmm. know, that's just me. Some people like to isolate themselves, and I don't. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any specific advice that somebody's given you that you wish you had gotten earlier? Something you've learned down the line that you wish you had known sooner? Yeah, I guess I didn't realize networking was so important. Because mm-hmm. I would have started way earlier. Mm-hmm. in like an undergrad instead of starting in graduate school with yeah. Don't Smile. I wish I would have known better. It almost worked out because I was a totally different person in grad school. Like I had cracked down a lot more. I was much more focused and much more mature. But yeah, I just wish I would have actually believed how important networking is. Because at yeah. first, you know, I was like, okay, get it, whatever. And then I actually started networking and stuff started happening. And I was like, oh, they were right. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know. No, so I guess, you know, it's simple, but, and also just keep your head down and make your work is uh-huh. a really good advice that, that I got at the beginning of grad school. Whenever people are like, that's impossible. Cause I have big, big, big plans for don't smile that I don't want to talk about in case they don't work. <laughs> but you know, people are like, that's too big of an idea. That's impossible. You can't do that. People have said that to me about stuff mm-hmm. I want to do with don't smile. And I'm like, Fuck you, like, I'm going to do it. That makes me want to do it more. Yeah, oh my god. Actually, because I'm that kind of person (laughs) where I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) Like, watch me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so petty. I'm just Motivates me better than, like, spite. Like, don't tell me to do something. I'm going to do it ten times as hard. It's a problem. (laughs) Now I'm going to do it just to piss you off. Exactly. I don't even want to do it anymore. Look at me now, bitch. (laughs) No, it's really funny. Uh, Yeah, but, you know, just, like, do it. (laughs) <laughs> like keep your um, head down and and do what you can to make it work i just did a shia labeouf and a tim gun <laughs> i said make it work and just hell yeah and there you have it since recording melissa was hired to be the photography and imaging facilities coordinator and technician at ringling college of art and design in sarasota florida Ew, Florida. Godspeed. Good for her. If you want to connect with her or see her work, you can check out her website, melissacrider.com or at melissacrider on Instagram. And while you're at it, don't forget to check out don'tsmile.com and follow at don'tsmilephoto on Instagram. We'll link all that goodness in the show notes. And if you're a female photographer of color, please consider submitting your work to Color Balance. Deadline is September 24th, and I want to see some great work. Subscribe, rate, give us money. Just do it. (laughs) Do all the things. Do it. Do it. All right. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye.